Do you have a bully inside your head telling you that you're not good enough? Do you lean towards self-defeat? Do you have trouble believing in yourself? And are you dying to learn how to become the perfect version of you? A you that you dream about? If you answered yes, then you're like me, and this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Journey to Worthy podcast, where we discuss self-esteem, worthiness, and transformation through a gay lens. I'm your host, Jeremy Long, and I want to share my journey with you. Welcome to the Journey to Worthy. All right, welcome to another episode of Journey to Worthy podcast. I am sitting here with a good friend of mine, Paul. Say hello, Paul. Good morning, Jeremy. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. If you would like to tell me a little bit about yourself for the listeners. Yeah, well, I'm a 68-year-old man of experience. It's <laughs> uh, a good way of putting it. And uh, originally from the east, from Ontario, mm-hmm. and uh, moved out here in 1995. Uh, after the passing of a partner. And yeah, life is quite an adventure. Isn't it? It is. (laughs) (laughs) So what what helps you get up in the morning? What drives you right now? Coffee. Um, (laughs) Me too. For sure. I don't know. It's, um, you know, I've had an interesting life for sure. And uh, being able to wake up and have a full head of steam, uh, make my bed in the morning, which is a critical part of my life and being thankful for Having a bed to sleep in, yeah. Having a house that's neat and tidy, and some food in the fridge, and a couple bucks in my pocket, uh, I'd say life is pretty good. I don't have to look too far to see people in uh, not those circumstances. And I've been privileged to travel and and uh, work and volunteer in situations where people have very little, and yet they have a lot more happiness sometimes than I do. Right. I definitely get that, especially from traveling through South, Southeast Asia. Mm. You see that quite a lot. For sure. It makes you have some gratitude for your life, doesn't it? Absolutely. If uh, gratitude exceeds expectations every day, it's going to be an amazing day. Oh, I like that. That's uh, definitely going to help people get through the, through the day. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you look forward to at this point in your life? Another day above ground with mm-hmm. relatively minor physical challenges. Right. Clear ahead, some direction, you know, short-term goals being met. And I've had to kind of reestablish where I am and Mm -hmm. where I am both financially and personally and what I want in the short and long term, uh, God willing and health willing. And um, being comfortable in my own skin is important. My physical life has always been very, I don't want to say critical, but always been a part of my life. I've right. always been involved in fitness. Right. So that kind of determines where my day is going. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, being at one with my higher power, God, and uh, uh, staying sober for another day is important for me. Mm-hmm. So I've been blessed with some term sobriety, and it was not the way it used to be. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what I look forward to every day. Looking at the mountains. So if I can see Mother Nature unfold and mm. where I live now, it overlooks uh, Lost Lagoon and Stanley Park and the North Shore Mountains. Yeah. I really feel blessed. Yeah. And I took that place based on that was just right there. It's my magic place. So Right. Yeah. So mindset and sort of your surroundings are important in keeping your mental health. Absolutely. <clears throat> it amazes me when I walk. So every day... I try and find three new things that I've never seen before. Oh, I really and like I started that. doing this three years ago. Yeah. I read something and 
which causes me to look up a lot more than I used to. Not that I was looking down at the ground, but I just find it makes me more aware of my surroundings, and they can be subtle little things. Mm -hmm. Architecture on a building, a blind that's closed, it's normally open. If I'm walking and a stoplight says stop here and walk there, I go that way. (laughs) I know where I want to end up, but it's a different route and maybe brings about a different change in my day. Right. So I'm open to new possibilities and new opportunities that before I was pretty close-minded with some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. The three things, that's kind of interesting because it's all about presence. It's a really being mindful of this mm-hmm. moment and sort of actually paying attention to what's right in front of you instead of being stuck in your head. Well, yeah, <clears throat> like headphones and all this uh, walking with cell phones and all that. I basically told my friends, you will not be able to contact me when I'm in the gym, uh, when I'm walking, mm-hmm. um, because I want to be present in that moment. Yeah. I want to hear. My hearing is starting to go. It's a oh. sign of age. <laughs> so I like to hear what's going on around me. And yeah. I've seen and been in incidents incidents that uh, could have cost somebody their life when a yak fell down a hill in Nepal and almost crushed this guy because he had his headphones on and wasn't aware of his surroundings. So over there, we tell people to listen with one headphone in one earphone because you better look out when someone says you got to move now. Right. Wow. Yeah, just little things like that. And it uh, keeps me focused on what's going on around me. I like that. Uh, I'm just curious about maybe your coming out process. What was that like? I usually ask listeners, what was it like for coming out? You know, it's... It's funny, I um, I remember being in a shower at the Y back in the days when you didn't wear a bathing suit at the Y. Okay. And uh, if you were on the swim team, you did. But if you were just a recreational swimmer, the men did not. Wow. And being kind of amazed at all that, there was something about that deep down inside that was kind of interesting to me. Oh. <laughs> and coming into a shower room and two of my mentors who were backstrokers and I was a backstroker I'm eight years old nine years old and these guys were making their penises kind of dance they were singing a song and twitching oh my and gosh. I was standing there like this young lad that I was kind of looking at them going well wow, that's kind of neat that they can do that <laughs> and I must have had this quizzical look on my face because one of them said you know Paul you'll be able to do that when you get older too and I'm kind of looking at my little thing going well it's not working like yours but I like yours <laughs> and um There was that whole sense of the locker room that was overpowering to me back in my Y days. And I'm not singling out the Y, but that's where I kind of cut my teeth. And then I went to a swim meet at a boys' private school, which Mm -hmm. will remain nameless. And again, I had that overwhelming sense that this was the place I needed to be. And I Mm -hmm. went home and said to my parents, I want to go to this school and they were just kind of middle-class folks and said, we can't afford it. Mm-hmm. If you really want to go, maybe it'll make you... Because I was kind of shy and withdrawn and the skinny little kid. Yeah, let's go for it. So I became a day student and then a boarder. Well, suddenly I'm in this den of masculinity right. with pre-pubertescent boys. <laughs> and, um, you know, suddenly there's hands coming under the cover at night. Oh. There's a circle jerk in the dorm. There's uh, stuff going on on the bus under a coat. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like, wow, this is exciting exciting." for a young man. Um, But it was at that point, too, that I discovered alcohol because I really was under the impression, A, from my parents and B, from society, that this was not cool. Right. You know, I heard the word faggot for the first time. I heard the word cocksucker. There was a guy who's 
name was on a local washrooms. So-and-so is a friend of mine. He will do it any time for a nickel or a dime, 50 cents for overtime. And I still remember that rhyme. Wow. And this guy would come in my father's uh, business, and I would look at him and I thought, wow, I don't look like this guy. Right. You know, and he was just, and he would look at me with these eyes, and I thought, ooh. Um, so I had really mixed feelings about who I was and what I was about. Mm-hmm. So sex for me at that time was very furtive. It was kind of shoot and scoot, if I can use that. I didn't want to get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could pleasure me, I wasn't about pleasuring you. I just wanted to get out of there because it was bad. It was not oh. good. And I also found out at an early age, 14, I went into my first U.S. bar with some older guys mm-hmm. that alcohol took all that edge off. But I was a blackout drinker. Right. It enabled me to see other guys my age or a little older, their inhibitions lower. Mm-hmm. And I became a predator. Hmm. And I thought, if I can buy you enough drinks, I can probably get into your pants. Right. And it was kind of a rite of passage. And I had a couple girlfriends at the time because I was on a swim team and I was mm-hmm. very good at it. At one point, I was one of the top athletes in this country. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I had this girlfriend and, you know, had my first heterosexual sex on a lifeguard stand on a beach. <laughs> um, and it was kind of, yeah, not very fulfilling. Right. Um, and then met my... So there's sex in the background going on with other guys, mm-hmm. but then met my uh, then wife, right. and um, she had already had a child. Okay. Pressure was on her because of religious background. To be to, married. To be married or lose the child. And wow. um, so I said, yeah, let's go for it. And both sets of parents are going, you kids know what you're getting into. <laughs> and I just said, oh, no, we're, we're in love. This is great. And she's a beautiful woman. And... There I was suddenly in this relationship with the baby. So more booze. Let's drink a little more and mm-hmm. I don't have to feel bad. And yes, I can have sex with a woman, but I'd really like to be over there with her, with this person or that person yeah. instead. Yeah. So it was quite uh, quite a passage. And, and throughout the marriage, I had uh, numerous sexual encounters with other men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would go to the bathhouses in the big cities and then come home to my wife and feel like shit. Yeah. I ended up throwing my wedding band in a lake uh, because I was filled with guilt and remorse and, oh me, what have I done to this beautiful woman? And at that point, we had a second child. Mm-hmm. And um, she asked me one time, and she was sitting in the bathtub and I was on the toilet, and she said, Are you a gearbox? And that was the question. Hmm. I said, Gearbox, are you a queer? Because mm. so-and-so told me you were. And I said, what do you think? She said, well, I said, no. And I said, well, there's your answer. So I lied to her outright. Right. My alcoholism at that point uh, became such that she was afraid of me because I would sometimes explode because I'm a pretty calm guy. Yeah. And my oldest son at that point would shiver because he'd witnessed these explosive tirades. Mm. And she said, if you don't stop drinking, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. So in my sick, deluded mind, I thought, if I keep drinking, then she will leave and I don't have to tell her that I'm really gay. Mm-hmm. And so I proceeded to drink more. Wow. And um, yeah, it split us apart. 
At this point, I'm now involved in law enforcement. Right. So during that first year, you're on probation. Anything can be used to dismiss you from that job. Mm -hmm. And things were much stricter back in those days. Even a divorce or a cause of separation could be enough to say, okay, you're not an upright model citizen. We don't want you. Um, Thankfully, she kept her quiet and she vouched for me. And she actually wanted to stay together. Six months later, she said, let's get back together. And I love you and this will all work out. And I said, you know what? You're a wonderful woman. I can't do this to you or my children. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say daddy's going fishing with the boys when we both know full well that's not happening, particularly as we age. So, no, you need to find yourself a husband who's 100% committed to you. Wow. And uh, I'm pleased to say today that we were and we are good friends. And, um, you know, through thick and thin, and we've been through a lot of stuff together with children and just with life, we've managed to maintain a healthy relationship and are quite open with each other. I I spent a whole day with her last year, Mm. you know, wandering on a beach and talking about the old days and (laughs) great pictures. And uh, I talk to her, you know, uh, probably once a week Mm -hmm. and just see what's going on. So, wow, uh, yeah, there we are. Wow. And how old were you when you came out then? 24. Okay. Was when I first, uh, I want to say, escaped the shackles of marriage and, (laughs) and hit the scene running. Right. As a, uh, and really into my alcoholism at that point. Yeah. So, uh, and because of this work on the police force, I would go out of my way to get out of the area because I didn't want anyone to know. So trips to the United States were very frequent. Um, Mm -hmm. At that time, you could get on a red eye and go to Florida for $99. Wow. And I discovered uh, what I call Fort Lickerdale. Uh, Fort Lauderdale and where the boys are. Yeah. And um, I had, <laughs> I met someone down there who worked at this particular hotel and ended up having sex with them. And my badge and warrant card fell out under the bed. And oh. I didn't realize it till I went back to another city and I was staying with straight boys who had no idea. And I got back and realized this was gone and had to make an excuse that I'd left it under a girl's bed and drove back up to the city. And when I went into the bar, which is no longer there, the bar pool area, they announced on the PA system with Sergeant Preston of the uh, uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, please come and pick his badge up at the front desk. He left it in room number so-and-so. Oh, my god! Of course, the whole pool <laughs> turned and laughed, and I'm going, oh, my. Um, wow. In any event, yeah, it was crazy. And, of course, there were some people there that, oh, I've never been arrested or, you know, I've never been mounted before. Oh, dear. I thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) But uh, I like to keep that part of my career at that point, I thought, under wraps. Right. Fair. So moving forward from there, you ended up obviously burning that down a little bit further and then getting sober. What are some of the other jobs that you've sort of ended up? You, like you said, you've been quite involved in fitness yeah. over the years. So what was the sort of the job progression? So during my geographical run from my alcoholism, yeah. you know, I drove a crane and a, a digger in, wow. so uh, butch. in West Texas. Yes. Woke up in a blackout in Dallas and uh, with a very wealthy young man mm-hmm. who uh, took me under his wing and yeah. provided for me. Um <laughs> So been there, done that, and uh, got a job in the fitness industry. And I'd always been kind of, I think, really being fit or being 
There was some mindset in me that knew I had to do that, kind of balanced out the drinking I was doing. Okay. I went to my first 12-step meeting when I was 23 at my wife's insistence. Wow. Uh, and in and out of that period, I would go periodically to recovery meetings. And uh, But I wasn't ready. I wasn't getting the message. And to me, there was still too much party out there. Mm-hmm. But shoot and scoot was kind of still my modus operandi. If right. I could have sex, anonymous sex, or... Uh, just quick and get out of there. There was a few maybe week or two or month relationships, but I was a rolling stone. Mm. Uh, and the the fella in Dallas, he was all that to me. I mean, he was very good to me, but we had uh, kind of an open relationship. And if it was called that at that point, especially on my end, because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I would have a few drinks and not know where I was or what I was doing. Yeah. And uh Hence the 300-pound black drag queen that I woke up to in a black eye. Oh, my gosh. That's a whole other story. <laughs> so from there, we go forward. I left the States and continued in the fitness industry mm-hmm. in Canada mm-hmm. um, for a number of years. Ran into a someone I had known from a young age, and he was just coming out of treatment for cocaine. Mm. Uh, I was newly sober, two weeks, and we met in a bar, the worst place to meet, of right. course, for two people in recovery. And um, we were together until he died in December of uh, 1992. Wow. And I truly believe, and I was looking at an old picture of us that was sent yesterday, that had he survived, we would still be together. Blonde, blue-eyed, Finlander, and Mm. uh, gregarious guy. And, uh, you know, HIV took him and so many during that time. Mm -hmm. Um, Got into car sales and... um, was really wallowing from 92 to 95, didn't know what I was doing. AA was my biggest support system. Mm-hmm. And some of those friends I still have today because mm-hmm. there was so much loss going on at that time mm-hmm. in our community. It was pretty crazy. You'd be going to a funeral every week wow. uh, or every two weeks. And there's 22 people on the AIDS wall in Toronto that I knew personally wow. that passed. And it was just like, yeah, going to war. So I talked to my sponsor at the time and, and uh, I knew nothing of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And flew out here and um, took a look around and interviewed for some health club jobs because I knew the industry Mm -hmm. and uh, met somebody, actually, coming out of a meeting in Victoria, Mm -hmm. uh, but did not want him to be part of my decision to move here and told my sponsor that. And we sat down and did the pluses and minuses of a job opportunity in London or Toronto and then here and here one out. And right. I said, am I running away again or am I going to? And he figured you're going to something. Cool. So my motto for life has since that point been leap and your net will appear. <laughs> uh, I really like that. Yeah, I have to believe that the God of my understanding has always provided me with the tools to kind of look at a situation, check it out and uh, let my gut and him and I generally talk to some a sponsor or friends of mine, peers that have some experience in that area before I make the decision, because mm-hmm. some of my best decisions have ended mm-hmm. me up in jail and other places that I don't choose to go to. Okay. So I came out here and was in the health industry for 14 years. I got into the outdoors yeah. when I first came through my employers, yeah. and um, it planted the seed. I felt like I was a Boy Scout. Mm. I just felt like this little kid. And I remember my first hike into Lynn Valley mm-hmm. with the water and the trees all around me and the smell. 
And I'm a very visual person, but I can still, my sound of my, the boots on the, on the ground, and it was kind of this hollow thump. And then they took me up Cyprus, where I've now worked 15 seasons uh, wow. guiding, snowshoe guiding, mm-hmm. and looking at the panorama of the city and of how sound and just going, oh my God, and eating lunch up there and kind of, this is, how did I ever get so fortunate? Mm-hmm. Then the third weekend, we went up Mount Seymour and... It was there that I had this kind of epiphany. They said, we're going to climb Mount Baker. We were looking at it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's impossible. How does one do that? And they said, well, we're doing it this summer. How'd you like to come along? And I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll teach you. So, yeah, we climbed Mount Baker. And that was in 1996. Cool. And it was like Pandora's box was mm-hmm. open. Mm-hmm. And then it became, well, how many times can we do Mount Baker? And let's do Mount <laughs> Rainier. Right. And... Um, so the outdoor world became really part of my existence. Yeah. Um, I realized that working a nine-to-five job, selling health club memberships was not cutting it. No. And um, my father moved in with me. My mother had passed. My sister had passed. And um, I was nervous about that. And my dad was aware of my sexuality. And I said to him before he moved in, I said, you know, Dad, you know my lifestyle. And he, yeah, yeah, we've been through all that, Paul. <laughs> we don't need to go back there. But a true definition of a gentleman. And uh, from where we had come, when they kicked me out, mm-hmm. because I was gay, a poofter, as he called poofter. me. <laughs> my mother said, you have something worse than cancer, and it can't be removed. And I'd sooner drink water out of a bedpan than put something like that in my mouth. And wow. I said, how dare you presume? And she's. How dare you presume you know what we do? I said, or what I do. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it got ugly. It was my ex-wife, actually, that mended those bridges over wow. time. And um, But anyway, my father said, well, you're not happy doing what you're doing. What would you like to do? And somebody in the program who said, if you could do any job in the world, what would it be? And I said, I'd be working outdoors. Well, yeah. why aren't you doing it? And I said, I won't make enough money. I'm a 52-year-old man. And he said... Didn't you believe that God would help you and that yourself alone couldn't get sober, that there was some higher power involved in that? Do you have faith? Yes. Then prove it. Do what you want to do. And my father encouraged that. And he kindly said, Paul, I want to see you happy when I'm alive. Mm -hmm. And um, when I'm gone, if you don't uh, follow your dreams, I'll come back and kick you. (laughs) um, That's a good incentive. Yeah. That year I made $15,000 and it was probably I had five part-time jobs. Um, to make it all work. And uh, I scaled back at the gym and got working in some NGOs, and uh, but was never happier. And of those, I still have one of the positions. I'm still at Cyprus. So. Wow. And until recently, I was also at an outdoor clothing store. Right. Uh, just doing a little retail hell. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's been a journey, and now as... Um, a 68-year-old man, I, I do a little bit of TV auditions for commercials. Oh, cool. And that's been five years, although I'm a fallen star. I haven't had anything for about a year and a half, so my <laughs> agent's not very happy with me. Oh, dear. I'm probably going to go back in the, the workforce uh, in some position to mm-hmm. you know, put some beans on the table mm-hmm. and uh, pay the rent and uh, go forward from there. So kind of semi-retired. Mm-hmm. I'm active in my own recovery community yeah, uh, yeah. as a sponsor, and uh, that's a very uh, big part of my life, but it isn't my life. It's mm-hmm. given me a life to live outside the rooms of recovery and, um, you know, dream big still. There's, right. 
if I could get on a plane today and go anywhere in the world, it would be Mongolia. Yeah. And I want to see the men and the yurts ride their horses across the belt and <laughs> shoot arrows at things. And uh, um, so that's in my top five list cool. to hit there. What are some of the places that you've traveled for being outdoorsy? Climbing Kilimanjaro, so Kenya, Tanzania, Safari, Zanzibar. Uh, I've been to Nepal seven or eight times. Wow. I sponsor a boy to go to school there and have for 10 years, and he's soon graduating with his Bachelor of Social Work. Wow. Um, asked my permission to get engaged last fall. Uh, we'll be <laughs> married soon. So Nepal has a special place in my heart. I managed to volunteer there after the earthquake uh, at a women's shelter for women that had been sexually or physically abused, mentally abused. And that was... Uh, was I don't know if the cathartic's the wrong word. It was a very um healing. Healing and point of reflection about what's important. The village I had been in there had been four hundred and fifty homes. Uh, before the earthquake, after there was only twenty. Wow. So some of the people and this is in the high mountains, there's nothing around, only escaped with their clothes, mm-hmm. little else. Mm-hmm. And but they were happy at the end of the day. If they had meals twice a day, and meal would consist of rice and dal, lentils, and that would be it. We had chicken once in a month. Wow. Um, so yeah, the level of contentment in simple little things, seeing children play with sticks mm-hmm. uh and be quite happy and they have no experience outside of that, which is one of the downsides, I guess, from a teaching standpoint. Mm-hmm. The teachers have a very myopic view of life outside of that box. And there's a huge migration of those kids going to low-end factory jobs in Dubai and Korea and these places. Right. Because there's no work. Just trying. Yeah. yeah it's, it's Trying uh, to survive. It, uh, it's tragic. Um, but places like that, um, I've been extensively through Thailand and uh, Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, all through the States. I mm-hmm. had a camper, a number of campers. I've lived cool. in my camper and spent three months coast to coast, 24,000 wow. kilometers in Canada. You know, I'm as happy sleeping on a rock under a tarp as sleeping in the Four Seasons in a five-star <laughs> hotel. Um, and sometimes better. I would sooner go through a back alley in in uh, Bangkok than um, you know Shishi into the Saint Regis. I think I feel the same way. Yeah, uh, and the people I've met along the way. I heard an acronym a couple of years ago. Wait, why am I talking? So mm-hmm. I, I try and do more listening now than I do talking. And uh, there's always something to learn. Yeah, the Nepalese kids. The second last time I was there, sat me down at this hostel, which I've been a part of for a while now. And and they said, I have a nickname called Super Baje. Baje in Nepalese means old man or wise old grandfather. <laughs> the super came because I actually carried the doko up the mountain on my head, the big basket that they carry. And these kids are, you know, 50, 60 kilos, and they're carrying 100 on their back. Yeah, I will admit to walking about... 50 meters only and feeling like a chicken because I couldn't see and I was having trouble carrying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the super is because I tried to do it. Wow. So, um, anyway, they sat me down in a chair and these three kids, eight to 10 years old, and said, you know, Super Baja, you come here 
and we're expected to learn English, but you haven't been learning Nepalese other oh. than where's the bathroom or bistari for water or, you know, all these these words. What's yeah. the problem here? Yeah. And um, yeah, they scolded me and sat me on this chair and started teaching me Nepalese. Excellent. So I think it's it's good. It's nice to be open to uh, that young energy. And yeah, I'm I'm pretty uh, malleable, malleable. So I'm I'm open to that stuff. I love that. I, I tried to learn some Balinese <clears throat> and Indonesian when I was in Bali. Mm. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a challenge, but it's it was exciting to put that energy forward and get that communication going. There's like a connection there that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shifting gears just a little bit, I yeah. was wondering if you'd like to talk a little bit about dating. I'm just curious, sort of, I, so I had a listener reach out to me a little while ago and sort of wanted to know uh, from someone's experience around uh, dating in the gay world, but also incorporating like what, how age changes that over the years. Yeah, it's, it's a big topic for sure. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Of course, having come out or grown up during the, the 60s, 70s and 80s really were my heyday. Right. Where the bar, the bathhouse you know, I think of bars in Atlanta, the doors were all in the back because mm -hmm. you didn't want to be public about who you were seeing or what you were seeing. So a lot of it was underground, uh, but it was face to face. So I could see if a person smoked. I could see if a person was drunk, although when I was drinking, it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> and fast forward to today. So uh, as I said, I had a partner for a long time. Right. And we for were part of the bar scene. Yeah. A lover and... Um, and we lived together for eight years. We had a house together and, mm -hmm. you know, we thought we would be together forever. Right. That relationship was open and, you know, it was pre-condom. Yeah. Bob's your uncle was just, you know, Have it was okay. And he worked out of town quite a bit. He was a carpenter and uh, was building projects in different areas. So I was kind of on my own. But when we came back together, we were together mm -hmm. and we never included a third party mm -hmm. uh, when we were together. When he passed, there was a series, there was another person that I became involved with who also died almost immediately. Wow. And it was just like, I can't do this again. Yeah. And then I moved out here and I met somebody uh, actually before I moved, who was this blonde, blue-eyed cherub that I thought, oh my God. And uh, I was pretty forward with him. I told him I was going to guess his weight with my tongue, actually. Oh, wow. That was my pickup line. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of chuckled. Uh, anyway, we were together for about three and a half years in a monogamous relationship. And he asked me, you know, are you able to do this? Having come out of a generation where sex was wide open. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I think I can. We think it's not going to work for me. I want it monogamous. Yeah. I said, okay. And... Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I was on my end anyway. And um, he went down to the States for another course and came back and we were walking the seawall and he said, we need to split up. At which point I was uh, 47, 48 years old and he was in his late 20s. Oh, wow. And um, I was going like, Oh, what's going on? He said, no, I just need my space. If you recall, the day we met, I had just broken up with my boyfriend and said I wasn't ready to get in a relationship. Oh. And I do, I do remember that. And um, But we just went right into it. I mean, we virtually moved in together. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, a stiff dick has no conscience. Away we <clears> go. Anyway, 
So that relationship ended and I was single looking around and uh, I joined a gay hiking group here in the city and um, I experienced something that was kind of interesting. My ex-wife has some Asian blood in her Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, uh, (laughs) I suddenly started looking at Asian men a little differently Mm -hmm. and just went, oh my goodness. And I tended to I said it like a buffet, actually, to a person who was to become a partner for 11 years. I said, you know, I always ate too much salad and didn't get into the main course of dessert, but I realized I was missing something. And he said, how could you be so racist? And I said, well, I'm just trying to describe that as best I can in my own words. But um, I went to Thailand mm-hmm. and it was like, wow. Where did all these beautiful men come from? Mm-hmm. And I had a two-week fling there with a young man. And I've always preferred younger men. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that I was intimidated by people my own age. But I grew up, as I said, in the dormitories where mm-hmm. I was surrounded by guys my own age or younger. Mm-hmm. And the older guys, I didn't, there was no interest. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why that is. Uh, insecure, I don't know. I didn't want to be challenged, wanted to be the top in control, maybe. Right. Maybe there's some of that. Right. Uh, but anyway, this fellow and I started dating. We never lived together. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, he said he wanted a polygamous relationship. Oh. Yeah, he was quite open about that. He said he doesn't, didn't believe that men could be monogamous. Okay. And, um, and how was I with that? And I said, well, you know... Uh, I would sooner just be with you. Mm-hmm. And he said, you've had enough, dick. You don't need any more. And I said, but if it's good for you, it's good for me. So I said, we have to be on the same page here. Mm-hmm. And he said, y'all, we just won't talk about it. Okay. So this went on for almost 11 years. And there was a period there of breakup. And I will say with his culture, a lot of things get left unsaid. They're very private. Mm-hmm. And how, how are you doing? I'm fine. How's everything today? Good. Mm-hmm. And there would be, there was no communication. And we broke up because of that the first time. And the second time, I think it was more of that. And it was just, I said, you know, you don't have a toothbrush at this place. Mm. Uh, there's not a pair of your socks after 11 years. So really, we're not partners. We're fuck buddies. Uh, we've been good ones. We've had a lot of good times together. Mm-hmm. And I don't regret that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's never been a commitment for a variety of reasons, which I won't go into. Mm-hmm. So since then, I've been very single. Mm. Um, I've been on the apps. I've met a series of people that I wondered about being in a relationship with. My tendency, and I I guess it comes from the old days, has been, you know, quick and let's get it over with. And I've met some marvelous people, it seems, away from my home city, Mm -hmm. whether there's not the pressures. I find in Asia, there's not as much ageism as there is here. And I had one person, Asian person, say to me, the only reason you like Asians is because, A, we look younger than we actually are. B, that no white boy of a similar age will date you. They're not interested in old men. And I countered with the fact that SilverDaddies.com and Daddy Hunt would say that that's not the case Mm -hmm. because there's lots of people out there on those websites. Mm -hmm. I have found a lot of ageism in the websites, so I've gone off. Uh, grinder because okay. of remarks that you pathetic old man what are you doing trying to hook up with someone even though you say younger you know 
I'm 50. That's 18 years younger than you. You should be flattered that uh, I'm chatting with you. Wow. And I and I would say, well, yes, I am. Thank you very much. But it still doesn't make my pot boil. Sorry. But I'm not apologizing. It's just I'm sorry there's no interest. It's taken me probably, and it was, Nepal had a lot to play with it because mm. of this weight. I started listening to men of my own age three, four years ago. And realizing that there was something that I was missing Hmm. was the ability to sit down with a peer of my own age and talk about these things on a personal level without fear of judgment. And a lot had to do with maybe my perceived economic situation. I thought, you know, how is some young guy, 35 or 40, going to say when I said, well, you know, I've applied for social housing because mm. I don't think I can support you. I'm not a sugar daddy. I'm a splendid daddy because <laughs> there ain't no sugar here, honey. Or maybe I can find a sugar kid and I'll sit at home and do the dishes and, uh, you know, wash the clothing. Uh, that's not going to be my role. But so I've had some issues around that where self-esteem, you know, how am I ever going to find that guy? Am I worthy mm. uh, to have a relationship again Mm -hmm. uh, that is fulfilling. I have met somebody online recently uh, who has a good position with this company who travels quite frequently, does not live in this area. Mm -hmm. And on a conversation level, we've never met. It's been very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have some similar values, similar interests, both like to travel, loves to hike, can sit with a book all day. When he was sitting, I would probably be walking up and down the beach or going for a swim. Mm -hmm. And that would be similar to my relationship that was 11 years. He would be reading and I would be out swimming uh, and yet come back and enjoy time together at that point. So it's been a bit of a struggle. Lonely on occasion. Mm -hmm. The bathhouse provided some outlet. Mm-hmm. But I find myself sitting, and I recently went, and I sat for an hour and just watched kind of the circling yeah. uh, and thought, I've just paid $30 to come in here to sit and watch. What is it you're looking for? A bit of a chase. Yeah. And I know what my type is. Yeah. And there's been some men come that are very attractive and very handsome. But there's a switch that is not flipping for me Yeah. in that situation. and. Do I want to go into a dark room where I'm slipping and sliding with a lot of men in probably unsafe practices? There's a thought if I was watching maybe from afar, it might be slightly erotic. But no, it doesn't. Changing. Yeah, it doesn't do anything for me because I've suffered so much loss because of those situations. Gotcha. And it just kind of. And then I run into somebody I know and I just think. Oh, my. Uh, And it's kind of a giggle and a laugh. Like, why are we both here? Well, we know why we're here. Yeah. And um, so it's been frustrating, Mm -hmm. I think. I think you bring up a couple of good points. Like you mentioned that you need to have a group of people that you can talk to openly about in your, you know, at your age group, you know, Mm -hmm. having peers that you can openly discuss sort of like what you're facing and, and how you're feeling. Um, I think that, you know, people of all age groups need that and maybe don't always feel like they have that outlet. And you and I are, we, we're lucky because we have a group of recovering people that that's our community. So we actually have a very open dialogue and communication about how to deal with things that come up for us, but not a lot of people have that. Absolutely. It's, uh, 
Yeah, it's been empowering. I, I have a, a new sponsee who is my age, uh, mm-hmm. slightly younger, mm-hmm. but where we've been able to talk about all kinds of stuff like this. Awesome. And it's, uh, I leave feeling very much at peace. So channeling my interest then from sex and the obsession of sex, because I realized that as an addict, mm. if it's not coffee, if it's not alcohol, it's going to be something else. Yeah. Could it be sugar? Could it be sex? And it can be distracting. And I found myself on many websites just searching porn and masturbation where never a big part of who I was about, although I find it titillating sometimes mm-hmm. with this Tumblr whole thing. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> but it and it can be take up hours of time. So what I did was I just got off them. Yeah, I have one now that I look at on occasion and one that I look at maybe every day. And I think there's some validation in there, too. I think everybody wants that. Yeah, so we walk around and people say, well, you're still going to age. Why are you so fanatical about going to the gym? Yeah. And appearance, I think, is important. And I think I'm all that in a bag of chips when really I'm not. And when I look at myself critically, again, I see the wrinkle or I see that little extra bit of fat that, you know, if I only, and I hired a personal trainer recently and I'm in the business for God's sake. Yeah. But what happened and what he said, what do you want from me? Mm. What is it that you want out of this? Which was a great question. And I said, I want more mobility and more body function as I mature. Right. So it wasn't about aesthetics. I want tits and arms and a nice ass. Yeah. It was more about, I realized I have some deficiencies. And within two sessions, he pointed those out very quickly uh, where I was weak and where I needed some assistance and mm-hmm. some more work. Mm-hmm. So I think dating and him has a, a thing here for aging men over 55. Health Initiative for Men, yeah. Yeah. That's a great organization that and I work with. I went to a couple of their sessions. And there was some long-term partners in there mm-hmm. and some partners that maybe were impotent because of age or yeah. uh, medications or things that were going through some sex issues or yeah. some relationship issues because of it. For me, I think communication is number one. Sex, uh, and I have a very, thankfully, still high sex drive, but that connection, that initial connection mm-hmm. is critical. I can't have anonymous sex anymore the bathhouses the tea rooms were part of my growing up the glory holes where it was kind of exciting and challenging you didn't know who was on the other side of the wall god forbid Mm -hmm. you know they had a meat cleaver or something but there was (laughs) um yeah it was all part of the chase and uh oh this is the danger the The danger the excitement can we do it in the back stairway at uh you know some department store and there was that adrenaline to it uh, I don't seek that today, and I don't want to go back from where I've come. Yeah. Um, so when I talk about going to the bathhouse and sitting there and thinking, oh, my God, why did I invest this money? Right. Well, occasionally, that person of interest comes along and onto the radar, and then <laughs> I feel those juices, so to speak, uh, welling up inside of me, and then it becomes, well, this could be fun. Okay, well, let's see where this ends up. Right. And then... Often it ends up and I'm not interested from the right, other party. Right. And uh, I just go, okay. But I had fun during the chase part of it. That's good. So I can go, okay, but that was kind of fun. So maybe and, it's about perspective and, yeah, and being just sort of content with the experiences that you are having. Yeah, I, I think. And, and uh, cuddling, the intimacy 
I think of the recovery program. Yeah. If you look at old people, I went into, or elderly, I went into a senior's home to look at housing. Mm-hmm. It was horrifying for me because all I saw at was lunchtime was these people my age and older, mostly older, strapped into chairs, drooling. And Ooh. I thought, is this where I'm going to end up? And I recently had a friend pass uh, this week who had uh, 36 years of recovery. And I saw him the day uh, before his death. And he was at peace. He was a gentleman in the true sense of the word and a role model. But I recognized because I've been around, I've been at death's door many times. I heard the signs and saw the signs visually of what was happening to his body physically. Mm -hmm. And um, it made me leave there and really think about where I'm at and what's important today. So I have a duty, I think, as an elder to share my experience, Mm -hmm. to tell my story on some levels to people that I think may or may not benefit from it, and Mm -hmm. they can take what they want. Um, It doesn't have to be lonely. There are other avenues that you can reach. As I said, the the group at uh, Health Initiative for Men, there's all kinds of activities within the gay community, even, you know, playing bridge or that. Mm. I'm not ready for that old folks home. (laughs) I realized if I were put in there, I would age rapidly. Right. I've been surrounded by a young workforce all of my working career mm-hmm. who um, maybe carried me, maybe gave me new life, new ways to think. And yeah, I leave exposed feeling, you to a new energy. Yeah, I leave feeling good about it. And even my attempt to go back into the workforce recently, by far, I'm, I could be their grandfather. Right. Um, but it's kind of fun watching them interact and saying, Oh, that's a new way to do things. Maybe I'll try that myself. Yeah. So, you know, having seven grandkids myself, when I go back, if I'm around them a long period of time, my son laughed and he said, you're not around children a lot, are you? <laughs> because my tolerance level for that energy for long periods of time is just like I get overwhelmed a bit. Right. You know, with the seven, five-year-olds. That's a lot. And wound up like an eight-day clock where I have to step back and just go, Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, it's time for Grandpa to go for a walk. <laughs> so I spend a lot of time in solitude, yeah. uh, but I don't feel alone most of the time. What? There are times when I just like to cuddle. Yeah, It's been a long time since I've had somebody sleep over in my bed where I could reach out and touch them mm-hmm. and physically know that there was a hand coming down and grabbing mine. Mm. So going back to what I was talking about, a lot of older people don't get touched anymore. There is no physical contact. Mm-hmm. I have that for my 12-step program. And that hug that some people just take as being um, just a hug, to me, is very important. And it's like, oh, another human being just touched me today. Isn't Mm. that nice? And we need that. Yeah. It's part of nurturing, I think, part of just being alive. And I see and I saw in these third world countries so many of the elderly sitting by themselves Although their cultures are much more nurturing of the elderly than yeah, here, where yeah. our kids want to put us in a home and, we'll, and just wait for us to die to get the money. Yeah, and let it go. Yeah. Why do you think gay men at the age do struggle so much with dating or with accepting age? North American culture is such that it's all about the bling and the dogs mm-hmm. and uh, I'll say the implants, but... You know, you have to have the pearly whites and uh, be driving the BMW 
and living at the address. And I think societies, maybe North American societies, always been that way. Mm-hmm. I I mentioned this in there was a professional organization back east who raised a lot of money during the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. And most of the men were at that point in their, say, late 40s. And they had a black tie dinner. They presented a huge check to this organization. And after the dinner was over, the tables were cleared away. And suddenly the disco ball came out. And all these people who would raise the money um, were suddenly put kind of on notice that the party was now for the young people and they could leave. Thank you very much. Wow. And I remember this very clearly. And um, you go to places, and I'll say like the Pump Chat, where there's a group of men who find solace in the camaraderie of the bar, the old bar situation as we know it. Mm-hmm. So they're content with being just sitting, talking and cackling about whatever whatever it is that they're yeah. cackling about. And it can be just fun. It can be nonsense. It be, can be the queen of the day. Uh, <clears throat> and that is their world. And um, whereas to me, that's empty. Mm-hmm. Um, so to even attract a man of my own age, say at this point, both of us have been through maybe similar circumstances and we're both very cautious. We don't, we've been through too much hurt and Mm -hmm. too much pain. Mm -hmm. Do we want to experience that again? Do I want to have, I think of a 40 year old man where I still think I have a lot to give to a relationship, but the reality of that sits in when in another 10 years, I'll be 78 and this person will only be 50 and still in their prime. Mm. And I'm almost thinking myself out of the relationship before you even start. Before I start, because I think, what do I have to give? What do I have to offer? Mm-hmm. First Nations has a wonderful celebration. It's called the Celebration of Elders, where they form a circle on the ground of men 30 and under. There's then a passageway of men 30 to 50. And then there's a circle of elders, men over 50. When a man reaches 50 in First Nations community, he's passed into the circle of younger and he's embraced by each person in that circle. The thinking being that he is giving them 50 years life experiencing life experience and that 30 or 20 or 15 year old is passing on their young knowledge to that older person. And they go all the way around the circle. So they have a wide variety of experience they've now embraced and taken on. Right. Going between 30 and 50, and I was in this circumstance at a winter solstice celebration, and my partner was about to pass away. So it was very, made a huge impact in me. Mm -hmm. Our job was to tell that person making the transition to a 50-year-old, go back. You're an old fart. Your hair's falling out. Your tits are hanging. So's your ass. I'm not interested. Whereas we know some men don't grow up, they don't mature, they're clinging to that last pair of tight jeans and blunt stones to make them feel young. And they want the convertible and they're dyeing their hair and they're getting their teeth capped because I can't face the reality of age. Mm. Once they hit the 50-year-old circle of elders, they would be passed from elder to elder around that circle. And the thinking is that they are now transferring the energy from those young people or the people in the tunnel into the elders. So the elder is now getting that young insight from the guy who knows how to work his laptop. Right. And at the end of the circle, the medicine man would come and put a kerchief around their neck. Mm -hmm. What that signified in the tribe was they had 50 years 
of life on Mother Earth. Right. It didn't mean they were any smarter. It just meant I can maybe teach you how to build a canoe, but you can teach me how to open my iPad. Right. And that transference of energy, I'm not above you, I'm not below you, but I do have 50 years here and you should respect and venerate that. Right. So I find a lot of young people will come to the table, and I say this in a broad sweeping way, especially in the gay world. Mm-hmm. What have you got to give me? Mm. Can you get an erection without Cialis or Viagra? You know, how far do you shoot? You know, what are you driving? You're driving a Suzuki? I'm sorry, I want a BMW. Um, And you live where? In co-op housing? Mm, Sorry. And that's just very superficial. It is. And so that's just a broad and sweeping statement. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I think a lot of people my age worry about and think about. And and I can only speak for myself, I think. Okay, so what do I bring to the table? Fear of, you know, lack of status or... Self-esteem, yeah. identity, body image, you know. And some people are quite comfortable in their own skin. Mm. I've always worked towards, I don't say aesthetics, but it's like brushing my teeth for me. I get off going to the gym. Yeah. It's physically, I like feeling my body work. Me too. And... Um, it feels good. So do I do it for a stack reason? I'm sure part of me does. For sure. But I also do it because I know the physiologic, you know, what's involved with it. And I've seen people over, you know, 30 years around gyms transform themselves and have more energy and have more vitality and more life. And I don't want to sit in a coffee shop in my waning days and just watch the world go by. Mm-hmm. I would sooner you die feel out, it. out on the trail or out on the ski slope. And just drop dead on my tracks, Yeah, um, I think would be my idea. Or swim out to sea and just say, <laughs> okay, we'll see you later, folks. As opposed to uh, languishing in a hospital. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for people that are, you know, that are aging and sort of how to deal with, A, the, you know, acceptance of your body changing and B, uh, you know, being single and being in the gay dating world? I think it's important that we share uh, these things so share the you know, experience pro- and talk yeah a problem yeah. shared is a problem cut in half yeah so if i can sit down with somebody and say you know what this is really going on i sat with a colleague last night and we talked for probably an hour and a half mm-hmm. and this man's about to get married to a younger individual oh. um, and it's kind of interesting we're both at similar points but he's getting back into the game yeah and um you know, I'm glad glad that's happening. So I would say reaching out is important. There are websites and that that cater to people of our age. Mm-hmm. And perhaps you can find a fulfilling relationship on that. I don't discount it. For me, it uh, I've just gotten away from it. As I say, I'm old school. I would sooner face-to-face see somebody and go up and talk to them. There was a guy in the gym the other day doing uh, rolling. So I'm now rolling on those things that are supposed to break down the lactic acid. (laughs) And I was probably more interested in him than the rolling part of it. Uh But it was a good segue into saying, my goodness, you're very good at that. How does it work for you? And he said, well, it took a long time to get there. And, And I said, quite honestly, I said, I was a quivering mass of sweat and when I first tried it, it didn't work for me and it was hurting like crazy. Yeah. And I said, you have to ease into it. And over time, you'll find that it will work for you. And I said, well, thank you very much. So we had a little conversation. And since then, we've had two more. But I saw it as an opportunity. And maybe in my scheming mind, it was a good segue in. 
But I've decided, and I said to somebody in the gym one day, instead of thinking about this, about how good-looking and how physically active and focused this person seems to be, I'm going to go up and tell them. What have I got to lose Mm. by saying, you know what, my name is Paul and you are, and uh, I want to tell you, I think you're a very attractive man. I may be on the wrong page, but I just want to put that out there. If you'd like coffee someday, I'd be willing to go for coffee or tea. Wow. And that's pretty ballsy, maybe. But the worst case scenario is they're going to say, no, you stupid old thing, forget it. Or thank you very much. I have a partner or I'm not interested or I'm straight. And um, well, just take the compliment for what it is. And thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Wow. Even I would love to feel a confidence to be able to do that all the time. It just depends on who's in front of me and how much I think they might be interested back. But sometimes that's very difficult for anyone, no matter what age you are. <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy who used to come into our gym and he used to hit on the women and he was in his 80s. <laughs> and he would say things that, were, in my mind, were totally inappropriate. Yeah. And he would just say, Paul, age allows you to do things that sometimes are totally inappropriate. <laughs> and all the women loved him. They'd go, oh, Max. And he would say, you know, your breast implants made such a difference. Great job. Oh, my gosh. And I would just go, yeah, oh, my gosh. And I said, you know, Max, you can't say that. And he said, well, I just did and it worked. <laughs> and that was his way of kind of... I'm not to that extreme. I think I have to respect a person's space. They're going to the gym not to be picked up in a lot of instances. And as you said, there has to be some similar, maybe a smile or not. Yeah, I I need that. Yeah, before I can act on it. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, So we talked a little bit about where you get a lot of your support and strengths, uh, especially from recovery. But what are some of the other sort of tools that you use that help you keep that self-worth and self-esteem afloat when, you know, maybe sometimes when your mind is against you? I've been fortunate in, as I say, one of my jobs as a guide. So when you have 15 people with you in the dead of winter, in the middle of a, you know, the woods where you could easily get lost or that. So interacting with the public in a um, leader's role. Um, Hmm. and, uh, it's not all about leading. It's about listening too, because there's often teachers in that group of 15, way more experience than I do. So it's not that I know everything. It's just that this has been my experience in these situations. And if anyone's got experience in this, I'd love to hear about it. So I've been doing that for a number of years and I find it very satisfying. Hmm. Um, so it takes me out of self and Mm -hmm. puts me into work mode, but, I love my work so much. It's not really work. It's more fun. The serving end of it, because we also serve food, is not necessarily, (laughs) I'm not good at that. But it still, it gives me more insight into people's needs and wants. So that, that's part of it. Being able to to spend more time with peers, as I said, this epiphany three, four years ago, of my own age, and maybe walking the seawall or going for a long walk and talking about life. I hang out now with some women that I've met over the years mm. who work for some nonprofits who are going through similar things in their own age. And maybe these are women that are, we would call, some of the guys would call cougars I, uh, or older. And uh, has a been, male version of a cougar. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. I, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> Pervert. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, yeah, creeper. Uh, yeah, so... It's been interesting to be able to talk to 
women that, you know, have lost partners or broken up for a variety of 50% of relationships end in divorce Mm -hmm. in in marriage. So, I mean, whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, or somewhere in between, it doesn't seem to matter that that is people communicating. And so maybe um, it's about a space where you can openly communicate. Cause I see a lot of people that have friendships that it's a lot of uh, surface communication, but you know, you and I both know like that digging into that, you know, the hard stuff, the stuff you don't want to talk about that you're embarrassed about how you're feeling and being able to openly say like, this is what's going on for me. So that connection piece, like, I think that's what sort of brought mm-hmm. up the most in this whole conversation is connection. But I really liked what you said about leadership because you're putting yourself in a place where you're challenged, where you're, you know, you, you're on two ends of that. You're teaching, but you're also being teachable. So it's just an, like an engaged place in your life where you can just be, yeah, fully challenged and just uh, always teachable. Yeah, I really like that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Kind of wrapping up here. Um, just curious, what are, what are your best mistakes? Yeah, maybe a mistake that's led you to some amazing new opportunity. Probably when my father uh, gave me the heave-ho, when I went to my employer in the in the gym business and said that I wanted to spend more time in the outdoors and take our members hiking. Mm. And they said, uh, no, if it doesn't turn a profit in 90 days. And this was the president of the company. And I, w- I held him captive in his car. He oh. said, you can meet me in the office. You have 15 minutes or I have to drive from here to there. And I thought, if I drive from here to there, you can't escape when I'm talking. Right. So I'll do that. (laughs) And at the end of the conversation, if it doesn't turn a profit in 90 days, uh, I'm not interested. And these were the guys that got me into the outdoor world. And he said, so you can either wait for me and I'll give you a ride back to to this place or you can walk and take the SkyTrain. And I said, you know, basically, screw you. I'm going to take the SkyTrain. I need to cool off. Yeah. It was maybe a mistake to tell him all that because uh, in the end, they ended up laying me off. Yeah. But it opened up all these other doors of travel, of mm. uh, education, of really following my heart instead of my head and, um, you know, getting into the great outdoors and, you know, really developing a life that I never thought of. I'm not good. I've never been very adept at the skill hand-eye-motor coordination things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've had to learn some of those skills as a result of getting into this. Right. And um, so, yeah, in the end, it, it worked out exactly the way uh, you know, I lapped and the net was there. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So I went into it with eyes wide open, not knowing what to expect. Mm. And here we are. Yeah, following that intuition and... Yeah, trusting that it'll work out. I mean, that's so difficult for people. But whenever I've felt that feeling of I have to do this and I've actually taken action, it does work out. Or I just I get led on a new path. Sometimes I totally Mm -hmm. fall on my face and it's definitely looks like a mistake at the time. But then it leads me to where I am today. Like my my whole addiction was I was in jail. You know, I was a teenager in trouble and. I wouldn't have this fulfilling life of contributing to supporting other people get sober if I didn't have that failure. Yeah. Well, and to be able to talk about it honestly. That's wow, the other such thing. a gift. I mean, uh, so many people are shut down and afraid of judgment. And, um, you know, what is that person over there going to think? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Without being too graphic, fuck them and feed them fish heads. <laughs> 
You You've know, got a lot of great sayings. Well, <laughs> and uh, they all came from, you know, get down off the cross, Mary, we need the wood. And, you know, my sponsor said that to me when my partner had just passed. He said, you've watched your partner dying for three years mm -hmm. and it's time for you as your partner wanted you to do and set you in bed. And I can still see him sitting there saying, you better go out and get on with your life and mm -hmm. find someone else. Wow. He said, or I will come back. And, uh, I so remember that whole situation. And my sponsor just reinforced it. You weren't, weren't meant to be this maudlin person that's going to grieve forever. You need to get on with your life yeah. because you've been, you've been attached. I realize there's survivor guilt and some mm -hmm. of that, you know, why did this young person at 36 die and I'm only 42 and I'm still alive? Yeah. And it just doesn't seem fair. Well, fair is not, you know, everything, there's not fairness in the world. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. And a wise Buddhist monk told me that one day. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just is. Mm. That's wonderful. Speaking of Buddhism, I guess, what's uh, some of your daily spiritual practices that keep you, keep you happy and mindful? Opening my eyes. Yeah. Pretty good one. I like uh, that, three things. Yeah, yeah. My practice has been for many, many years, 30 plus years, make my bed in the morning. And that was drilled into me because there was a time in my life when I didn't have a bed to sleep in. Mm. And when I make it, I make sure it's nice and smooth and done properly. And I fluff the pillows and do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's at that point where I do a daily reading a day at a time. And I also read some stuff in codependence because mm. you squeeze an alcoholic and out comes a codependent person. Or a bunch of other stuff. A bunch of other stuff, in, in my case. <laughs> Sex heard, addict, a, yeah. yeah, food addict. <laughs> and I heard that recently and I thought that was cute. So yeah. I realize I can be that. I can be the doormat sometimes. Uh, so I, uh, I work on that. Um, finding the three new things has been a huge part of it. And... Um, just giving thanks throughout the day. I, I find myself sitting in the sauna sometimes by myself saying the serenity prayer or just uh, my son is in a lot of pain right now and in trouble and getting a letter from him and then writing back from the heart to him mm. about what he's going through because we have similar paths. Right. Um, so that's been very good for me. And uh, I don't have to look very far. Just to drive over here today, and I always look at the mountains when I get up mm -hmm. and kind of, thank you, you know, I've got another day. Mm -hmm. And this last week of being in hospitals and seeing people in different situations and sitting in the hospital uh, entrance Friday, waiting for a job interview mm -hmm. and just watching families that are grieving and uh, people in impossible situations and people with the same addictions that I have, I just think, I am one lucky camper. Thank you, God, for another day. Mm. Uh, I'm free. Mm -hmm. um, yes, there's some work to do for my disease, but compared to what some of these people are going through physically and mentally, yeah. um, I haven't made in the shade. I have to do a few simple things, and if I do them on a regular basis, maybe I'll have another day. Mm -hmm. So, And be the best person I can be. Uh, I try and smile and say hello to people. They look at me like I'm a freak. It's uh, great. I love that. And just, you know, good morning, hold doors. The things I was rent, was raised with, mm. being a gentleman, trying not to swear too often. I remember the days of soap washing in the mouth or oh, spankings. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't take them as corporal punishment. You know, they were deserved. And uh, 
if I could be half the man my father was, or even my mother, who was a strict disciplinarian, came from an old farm family, and mm-hmm. it's just the way she was. But I learned some valuable lessons, and I didn't realize half of them until I became older. And you know, they did the best they could. Mm-hmm. And uh, my big re- one of my big regrets is not being closer to my sister, who was also adopted as I was, mm-hmm. and um, she died when she was forty-two, and she also was an addict but was clean and sober 22 years when wow. she died. And it was just a physical and mental thing that her body never developed fully because of the drugs that she was more into drugs that mm-hmm. she was on. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, I, I missed that connection with her. And uh, there was opportunities. And I always thought I was a little bit better than her. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I still see her in the, one of the last pictures we have in Nose Hill in Calgary. And uh, I have her her big book, which is that she gave me. Right, which and is she our was, AA literature. Yeah. yeah, and she was the first one to call me on my disease and my sexuality. When wow. she was strapped in a mental ward, she said, you're nothing but a queer and a drunk. And she was, you know, three years younger than me. And I was like 18. And my parents stood up for me. Don't you know he's this and she's that? And I said, yes, aren't I? She saw you. But she saw it in me. So I missed that opportunity. And uh, hopefully in the next life, and I believe there is a next life, mm. um, Wendy and I will have a chance to sit down on a rock and share. That's lovely. Mm. So just wrapping up, if you had to go tomorrow and your time was up, what would you want the, what would your message be to perhaps the next generation or even to just people in your age group that are on their, on their journey? What would you want them to know? Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery. Today yeah. is a gift, that's why they call it the present. So being present for today is important. Mm-hmm. Being the best version of Paul, being authentic and transparent to a degree um, with those around me that I love and care about. The connection with my grandchildren, I w- really wish they were closer. Yeah. So I could uh, I'd not be of influence, but spend more time with them. The young people in my community being a role model for what a sober uh, life can look like, um, what an outdoor life can look like, taking people that have never been into the outdoors on a hike that are maybe suffering with addiction into a snowshoe or a trip up to Garibaldi Lake. We did that with a group of people, and it was so fulfilling to watch them look at everything and watch their eyes, wide-eyed wonder. Mm -hmm. So being able to do that... um, as my journey continues and um, working on my own issues of a little, you know, my self-esteem sometimes and these issues I have surrounding what I perceive to be my struggles with finances and my feeling about it. I'm pretty free in my own body most of the time. But Mm -hmm. if there was one thing, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would stay exactly in the place I'm in. Mm -hmm. I don't need a bigger place it's spectacular and that I can look at Mother Nature and just be thankful for the day. Right. And I think it's young people, particularly in the gay community, to form solid relationships and have peers around them mm-hmm. uh, that they can go to in times of need. That Drugs and alcohol is uh, it's part of the passage for some people. Yeah. It's very prevalent in our community. Uh, it's not the answer, certainly. Mm-hmm. There are ways to lead a pure and fulfilling life without all that trapping. And it is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. 
and being aware of it that, you know, if you're sinking, uh, please call for the lifeguard. <laughs> there, there'll be a bunch of us that'll either throw boys in the last resort and jump in. Yeah. But in the end, I have to save myself right. because I'm of no use to anybody at that point. Right. So, uh, yeah, being happy, joyous, and free every day is, is to the best of my ability and, and uh, continuing on this road of happy destiny. <laughs> trudge. Trudge. Trudging means, the road. Trudge means to walk with purpose. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, it's not wallowing through the mud. It's uh, And sometimes the mud gets on my boots. But when you're on the West Coast Trail, it's easier to walk through the mud than go around the puddle. And I can save a person an hour a day and a couple miles by going straight through. So mm. when you're in hell, keep going. And wow. there is something on the other side. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with uh, with me and with the listeners and your your experience. We've talked a lot about uh, connection and being vulnerable and speaking openly about what's going on for you. And I just love the suggestions about making sure you're connected to some sort of community where you can talk. Uh, I had a coaching client recently who just realized that having someone to just open up about things with is everything that he's been missing. So... Uh, yeah, thank you for all of that knowledge. Well, thank you, Jeremy. It's certainly uh, left me with some things to think about as well as I go forward. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, a little scary, but that's okay. Yeah, face everything and recover. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, is there any last words you'd like to impart on this audience? Non illegentium carborundum est. Don't let the bastards grind you down. <laughs> Awesome. That's perfect. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. And uh, if you'd like to reach out and uh, connect with me or Paul at all, uh, you can check out the website. It's journeytoworthy.com. That's journey2worthy.com. Or reach out to me on Instagram, journey2jeremy. And uh, thanks again, everyone, and have a great rest of your week. Goodbye. <laughs>